Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello, and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. I am Rob Howe. That is Scott Docterman. If you're watching us on the YouTube feed from The Athletic, it is Thursday, May the 25th, about 9.15 a.m. Central Time, our last podcast of May. And uh, we're just kind of slogging our way through the month here. We do have things going on. And uh, I guess at the top of that list would be Iowa baseball. Won its opener uh, Tuesday, convincingly, 13-3 to against Michigan. Then Michigan went on and won and knocked Illinois out yesterday, I believe it was. Um, so we'll take a look at the bracket there. And Iowa plays at 2 today against Indiana, a team that it lost a season series to. So uh, we'll have uh, revenge on its mind there. Uh, we've got a women's basketball staff hire. Um uh, not really much of an update on the gambling investigation, but Rick Heller did talk about that with us a little bit on Monday before they headed off to Omaha. Talk a little bit about uh, why we do not have a Big Ten uh, scheduling format for 2024 and beyond yet. Um, not just kind of some housekeeping stuff here more than anything beyond baseball. Uh, Iowa track and field is out in Sacramento at the West Regional. Uh, some preliminary uh, events yesterday. Uh, they'll get into high gear today out in Sacramento, and that runs through Saturday. Check out HawkeyeSports.com for, uh, uh, I think they have some type of live result linkage on there. Um, Scott and I are kind of propped up here. We've both done uh, our fair share of lawn duty, <laughs> yard duty. That's what May brings. Um, but uh, our backs are holding up well enough to do a podcast, Scott. Yeah, thank God. Uh, you know, um, I gotta, I gotta do some serious stretching. You know, this weekend I moved my kids back from Minneapolis here, and uh, you know, so that includes a U-Haul truck and a lot of loading, and then a lot of unloading, and moving over to a you know, a, a empty garage or empty uh, storage facility. So then it's like. Uh, I can just imagine what my Tuesday morning's going to be like. So, um, you know, I'm going to be, uh, all right, I'm going to have to hit the massage parlor and the Cairo on that day. But 
No, all things good. It's it's beautiful outside. It's going to be a great couple of days before we get into the the hell storm that is summer in the Midwest. But uh, but all all things, it's it's a, it's beautiful weather. And and hey, going up the Memorial Weekend, you couldn't ask for better. Lift with your legs. That's what they tell you. And then I always forget and hurt yeah. my back anyway. Mm-hmm. But I've shot a lot of photos the last two nights. A lot of high school things going on in the area. A lot of uh, really good competition. Uh, kids going to state softball and baseball has started in Iowa for high schools already, believe it or not. So uh, state soccer coming around the bend. Uh, so we wind in, but ra- pretty much rounding up the uh, the 2022-23 college athletic season with uh, with baseball and track still going at the University of Iowa. Uh, Baseball-wise, Scott, let's jump in there. Um, a little bit of a uh, shuffling of the rotation, if you will. Uh, Rick Heller going with Brody Breck today on, again, we're we're recording a little bit before, five hours before the game. So some of this may be stale by the time you listen to it, but Brody Breck will be on the mound today, uh, following up Marcus Morgan on Tuesday, and that would mean – it's really big, Scott, the, the new format in baseball here. Iowa won on Tuesday and, and you know, was rewarded with a day off on Wednesday. When today you're rewarded again with a day off and takes you all the way to Saturday. Big game today. Yeah, it is. And it's against a good team, too. I mean, a team that's uh, that beat, beat them twice, two out of three this year, which is why they had the higher seed and uh, and so, you know, and, and Indiana's a quality program. It's one of the better ones. I think Indiana and Maryland are probably the top two, and Iowa and probably Nebraska are in that next echelon uh, year in and year out. And Michigan, of course, because Michigan had that freakish uh, championship appearance a couple of years ago. It still blows my mind, but it's kind of like if. Uh, Mm, Purdue got to the CFP or something, you know, <laughs> so Michigan getting to the championship game in baseball, but no, I it, should, I should mention too, that the softball team won the equivalent of the NIT. So congratulations to them. I wanted to do that before I forgot. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's also a good point, Rob, because as, as we've seen, we saw what the program was like under Gail Blevins all those years and she was, you know, she left under, eh, you know, not real great terms, I suppose. The program really hit the pot. And now the fact that it won its last game in the postseason, uh, you know, winning a tournament like that, the way they won it, I thought, you know, hey, that's a great way to go out. It really builds momentum. And it shows that Renee Gillespie has, has done some good things with that program. Yeah, she needs to, they, she needs to use it. At, bless you. Scott having a sneeze attack. See, this is what happens when you're out in the grass. I know, man. I was the out at 30 in the morning. I've been sneezing all week. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, hopefully softball can use that as a springboard. And uh, good to see. It was good that they were able to get into that event and then win it in an exciting fashion. Definitely something to build on. And uh, from a baseball perspective, Brody has uh, – he hit a rough spat patch there for a while, Scott, but he looked good last Saturday at Northwestern, got himself kind of back on track there. With he and Marcus, Marcus Morgan, it usually comes down to command and control. I mean, they have the stuff. Both of them are, are you know, high-level Division One pitchers when they're on. 
Um, but they're only sophomores. They're second-year sophomores, and they're still working. I mean, Marcus has made an incredible jump from last year to this year. We talked to him on Monday, and uh, he, I know he was injured in high school and he missed one of his basketball seasons, but last year was definitely – I asked him, I said, is that the most adversity you had faced – you know, in your athletic career. And he said, oh, yeah, by far. And, you know, had to deal with it mentally, uh, physically. Uh, but give the kid credit. He's kind of worked his way through it. He's now the, you know, the Friday starter, uh, for lack of a, a better term, because it's not always Friday now that they're in the yeah. postseason. But you get it if you cover if you uh, follow college baseball. But these two guys, Scott, I mean – Okay, you make a run here, and we're not going to put the card ahead of the horse here, but if they can make a run here into the weekend, get a decent regional spot, and you line up those two guys at the top of your rotation and they're on, I know those are big ifs, but the potential is there. No question. I think they're both pro pitchers, you know, and I, and obviously we know what Brody brings, but, you know, Marcus um, was, prob- was probably the highest-ranked a quarterback to not select a football team. You know, as a dual threat guy, uh, he, he chose baseball and, and he has had an Iowa strong. state offer. Right. And he, he's coming on strong. He probably would have been a, what a Mac quarterback and probably, probably, probably another position at a power five, but, but still uh, he had it. Yeah. You know, he's ranked, you know, a three-star legitimate three-star and uh, now he, you know, he's, he struggled Brody's, you know, but then has, has made strides and he's the Friday starter Brody. We all know the all world talent that he has. It's really about control with him. If he can, if he can, have a little more consistency and, you know, uh, not walk as many people, Jesus, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's new Lelouch on the mound really, you know, in some ways, because he's just, sometimes he's so wild, but he's also just an incredible talent. And the big 10 recognize that as a, you know, first team all big 10. And, uh, but if they get into a position where they're both playing well, then yeah, they're going to be very, very difficult to, um, that they could go into the NCAA regional and you've got a one and a two like that. They're going to be in games. Um, now Marcus yesterday kind of showed the strength and the, the weaknesses that he's had. And he put it on full display two days ago, I should say, you know, one is he's, you know, pretty, you know, he was able to hold them to one run, but then the other part was he was walking guys and he was really, his control wasn't real good, but they have so much potential. And, you know, where they are, you know, and what they've been able to do hitting wise, even without Keaton Anthony has been really impressive. Um, you know, had a, another grand slam ninth of the year the other day. And um, this team has a, this team is a legitimate NCAA team, no question in my mind. And it's probably a team that can win. They can win a, at least a game when it's there. And if they get some good performances on the mound, they could be a threat to go to the final regional game and end up possibly even in a super regional. Awesome performance by Jack Whitlock the other day coming yeah. out of the bullpen. You know, he came in and kind of put the fire out for Marcus and, and struck out three there in the fifth inning. And then Iowa was able to put up a crooked number, get six mm-hmm. spot, I think, uh, courtesy in large part to Bra- Braden Frazier's grand sk- slam that Scott spoke of. Cedar Rapids, Jefferson's own Braden Frazier. Mm-hmm. Good to see the local kid uh, yeah. come through there. And and like, you, you know, in talking to Sam Peterson on Monday, he said, you know, I was like, how have you guys stayed together? 
you know, and it's not the first time this question has been asked, but he, he, you know, with what's going on, and we'll talk a little bit about the gambling uh, investigation in a minute, but they've not missed a beat. They've won what? I think they've lost two games Mm -hmm. since Keaton Anthony and and those guys. Yeah, eight and two. So, I mean, to be able to do that and have guys like Frazier step up um, is really a testament to uh, the culture and the chemistry within this program to be able to do that. A lot of teams would fold or at least struggle a little bit, have an adjustment period, whatever. They haven't done that. Now, they certainly would like to get Keaton Anthony's bat back in the lineup. But I just, you know, we talked to Rick about it on Monday, Scott, and he basically was like, you know, and this is kind of what we all knew. The administration has no answers because they're just waiting like everybody else here. You, you, you're not going to speed up and invest. They're going to do it at their own rate, and you just have to wait. You're at the mercy of them completing this investigation. And from what Rick said, they're, they were still gathering information. They want to make sure they have all the information before making a uh, a, a judgment. Yeah, I've talked to people at Iowa and Iowa State about this because there's really, as you said, there's not a lot to report right now when it comes to the gambling situation. Um, everybody is ruled ineligible. That the campus is that's the first step, which is why that none of these people are playing now. It doesn't, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know specifically how it affects track and field, and I certainly don't know yet all the names of football and what have you, but. Um, but then it's up, it's in the NCAA's court as to what punishments are dealt at. Then it comes back to an appeal process. And so then, you know, there was a, a thought that the NCAA would be quicker than normal or at least understand the timeline. But it's also the NCAA is going to investigate at its own rate. I mean, and it's not their fault that these players got flagged for gambling, which is against the rules. You know, it's just, yes, the the timing is, could not be worse, <laughs> but you know, there's also, they're going to go through their process. And, and I imagine that they've taken this very, very seriously, but, you know, kind of back on the Jack Whitlock situation. I mean, you know, if there's a, you know, if, there, if there's a team MVP, it might be him this year. I mean, he's only started one game. But he's seven and zero, and he has an ERA one one twenty nine. And as you said the other day, he put out the fire. He really allowed them to streamline and everything. I mean, that's just that was just remarkable. I mean, he's just been absolutely terrific for them. And he's the type of pitcher that, on short notice in a regional, that really can do kind of what he did the other day, which is just step in in an adverse situation. And I mean, he's only allowed three extra base hits all year. Um, you know, he's, he's struck out 30 and walked six. It's just, um, he's, <laughs> if you, if your MLB team had a long reliever like that, you would, he'd pitch for 20 years. He'd be like Paul Ossenmacher, you know, <laughs> who's just in Good the Paul. Room. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why that name came about, but, but, it did. but, uh, you know, uh, and so I think, yeah, he's, He's been just remarkable for this team. And, and, you know, they've had a lot of guys who have stepped up at key moments, but, but his deserves more than just a tip of the cap. It deserves kind of walk out of the dugout and wave to the crowd. Yeah. And that's an, I mean, in addition to those are great points by Scott, you need guys like that. And when Iowa had some bumps earlier in the season, it was the bullpen 
mm-hmm. trying to figure out the right combinations there. And he has really stepped up and and done well. And we, if you uh, if you're on the Hawk Fanatic podcast feed, you should be. If you're not, you subscribe to our feed. You will find a interview with Jack Whitlock uh, on yesterday's uh, podcast with Pat Hardy and the guys at KCJJ. He was on the show yesterday. Uh, good interview there. If you guys want to check that out. So these guys have missed, what do we say, 10 games, Scott? Yeah. That out of 53. So we're kind of still hovering around that, what, 17, 18% of the season range. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm bad they, at math. Yeah. If once they, no matter what happens this, this afternoon, they're going to play again. So then you're looking at 11 out of, you know, 55, 12 out of it. So you're looking at 20 plus percent of their season. Now, um, and then if they go to regionals, they're guaranteed two more games. Um, what does that mean in the big picture? Can they, uh, if, if it's something where they bet like similar to the Virginia Tech guy, maybe it's, you know, maybe you get another 10 games next year. Um, but if it's less than that, less money, um, not on college athletics, then I think, um, you know, they may have an outside chance. I, I would just hate to predict anything because this is such a situation that we've never really experienced before. And, you know, the NCAA with all the changes in the gambling rules, I would not, I would expect, and I understand the rationale to make an example of these schools because you do not want this to happen again. And and unfortunately players uh, who may bet on minor things that need a slap on the wrist might get a smack on the butt instead. And that's really uh, unfortunate, but it's probably in some ways in the big picture, maybe dare I say, if this was another school, <laughs> that's probably the right thing to do. This is, uh, and again, these guys knew the rules. Mm. It's not, you know, it's, we, I made the speeding analogy last week, the science, you know, the speed limits are posted we drive over the speed limits. If we get caught, we a lot of times we get away with it. But if you get caught, it's you're the one to blame. Yeah, um, it's not the person that's pulling you over or the person that set the speed limit. It's it's your fault. Um, having said that, this is tough on Keaton Anthony on a number of levels. The one is he's a major, you know, he's a professional baseball prospect, and Rick talked about this on Monday. Um, this is obviously hurting him. I mean, this is, he's at, you know, he'd be at the big 10 tournament now where he's got scouts eyes on him. They're going to the NCAA tournament. If he misses out on that, um, the draft is coming up. What I think in June or July, they moved it around. I think it might be in July July now. It used to be in June, but so he's that that's tough for him to deal with that. But again, you don't want, the NCAA to rush through the investigation and get it wrong. You want them to get it right. And unfortunately for Keaton, this hit while he was in his season and, you know, it could have hit in September. Mm-hmm. Then we would have been right. dealing with it from football side, but it didn't. Yeah. And that would have been a much more high profile every single day. We would have talked about it. We right. would have tweeted about it. We, you know, and, and that's not to take anything away. I mean, you know, baseball is every bit as important to Keaton Anthony and, and uh, you know, Rick Heller and this team His football is to any of the players, coaches or whatever, but the profile is the profile. But I think, it, you know, to use your speeding analogy, 
you know, uh, the NCAA has to decide what's 29 and a 25 through University Heights and what's uh, 85 nope. and, and I a 55. Drove, I drove through University Heights yesterday and that sucker was at, yeah. yes, was right there. <laughs> but I know better now, sorry. Yeah. I know better too. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, same deal with uh, the Hayden Fryway, where it's like, yeah, I lost, you know, but or or you drive an eighty-five and a fifty-five with a suspended license, yeah. or or with a, you know, no, I won't say a stolen car, but a car that you took without permission or you know tags off. You know, there are different levels to to what speeding enhances is, and and I think uh, Iowa Iowa State has some real problems, but I think we're somewhat aware of but i again kind of like with i I think we've heard enough rumors rob i think all of us have that you can kind of do algebra and maybe get it some some names and and some possibilities but i also don't want to do that because i don't want to unfairly call anybody out who maybe it's not as severe as what is rumored and maybe it's uh they're going through an appeal process that might either expunge them or or put them in a situation where maybe they miss the entire season. So I, I'd avoid using any names. I have heard some, especially on the Iowa state side. I was at the cyclone caravan the other day that, uh, you know, would be pretty devastating for them, but still when it comes to Iowa, um, Keaton Anthony is de- devastating to this team because as you said, they're doing great. They're eight and two. They might, you know, that they, they could be, they're going to play at least two more games of the big 10 tournament. That's fantastic. But you know, when you're in a super regional, you'd like to have your best players available and he's their best hitter. He's one of the, you know, he's all big 10 first team, all big 10 player. You'd like to have him available to, to compete. There was a survey, Scott, that was done. I don't know if you saw this Uh, NCAA study finds almost 60% of college students engage in sports betting activity you got you can find the study if you google it um surveyed 3527 college students aged between 18 and 22 during april found that 58 percent of students had engaged in at least one form of sports betting during the last 12 months so it's all around these and we've talked about this it's it's especially in iowa where it's legal i mean and it's 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 not only legal; it's really available. You just basically you just have to download an app. Yeah, and that's the scary part. That's why it makes it rougher for kids today than it was in our era. Where you know our era way back when when we were in college, Rob, we had to go to a bookie. You had, and and that to me, if somebody was betting with a bookie, out. You know, yeah. I, I, and I'm not saying it, it's it's better. I mean, it's the same type of betting, but you are physically going to do something. And that to me is, is don't, don't even come back, Um, you know, and then going to the casino is, you know, not quite as bad to me because maybe you're just playing some slots or something and out at Riverside and then, you know, oh, what the hell, throw a bet on the the NBA finals. Okay, got it. That's wrong, but it's, you're in kind of in a a place. Now that you have that, the accessibility to DraftKings or FanDuel or whatever on your phone, like you do Twitter, that's a really difficult prospect for, you know, they're competitive people. They compete over everything. You know, you talk, you know, they, all the, the cliches that they said, he's, he's competitive. It doesn't matter for playing, you know, chess or checkers or video games. I mean, they, they get, I don't want to say fights, but arguments at least over video games, 
let alone, you know, just throwing a few bucks here and there on the poker table on a Thursday night or now, you know, laying some, a couple of bucks on an NBA or NFL game, you know, but if there's an example, if, if they did bet on Iowa, South Carolina women's basketball, if any of them did, they're not playing sports ever again in the, for the NCAA. And that's, that's sad, but it's reality. And that's something that will be an example to people. It may sound punitive. It may sound overly harsh, but they knew that they knew it. And that's, that's the tough part about this really tough part, actually. Well, a few more numbers from this study. Um, 67% of students who live on campus actively bet and do so at higher volumes, while 41% of the bettors have placed a bet on their own school's team. 71% of bettors lose up to $100 daily. Um, wow. Uh, 16.7% uh reported their da- their largest daily loss between 100 and 300, 5.9%, uh, 300 to 500, and 5.8 at more than 500. So when we're talking about like this, it's different denominations, it's different frequency, and that's kind of what the NCAA is sorting through right now because that's what they have guidelines based on is amounts and frequency. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, you know, going back to uh, Alan Tisdale with uh, with Virginia Tech, you know, he hit 400 bucks. And I know um, Chad Lysico kind of reported on some of the, the breakdown of what this is about. And I think, uh, but when you look at the frequency and the dollar amount, when you're talking about $400, that does not sound like a lot. It is a lot, but it doesn't sound like a, a terrible amount. But the 100 plus times he bet, that sounds like a lot to me, you know, now how, you know, what do you, how much you bet and you bet in a dollar, you know, at a time or, you know, $5 here and $3 there or what, but, you know, still that's the frequency is probably as much of a problem as the actual dollar amount. And, and so I'll be anxious to see, I mean, if it's somebody who bet $50 because they're a chiefs fan on the super bowl, you know, that one to me is, is pretty damn innocent and, you know, okay, you're suspended for, X number of games and in baseball time served. And that would be fair. Um, you know, uh, but I think when you're looking at, you know, if you're betting on NCAA or if you're betting 50 times, even, I think that's, that's warrant to being out for a while. And I think to wrap on this survey, Scott, I think it illustrates what the NCAA is most afraid of that. You have a lot of people, a lot of the student population betting on sports mm-hmm. and you have their classmates playing those sports it is it is it, the temptation for inside information and beyond is really great and that's what you have to be careful of i know people are like well big deal because when we've done this, whether it's been res- responses to our podcasts on social media, people say people want to blame people other than the student athletes. But this is important. It's important to keep the integrity of of the games. Yeah. Well, and that's why college athletes aren't allowed to bet on the NBA or NFL in particular, or any sport where the NCAA offers it because they do have inside information. Um, if you're, you know, if we're talking about, again, what, if, what we're talking about the NBA final or NBA playoffs, 
And Keegan Murray is on the phone, not not even with Chris, but with another former teammate or something. Or maybe it is with Chris. And, you know, then Chris is sitting around with a couple other former, you know, a couple other Iowa teammates. And they're like, yeah, uh, De'Aaron Fox is going to play. Or, you know, or I mean, or, you know, Steph Curry was at shoot around today and he got hurt. He's not going to play. And then that passes it around. And then all of a sudden, boom, okay, I'm making a bet, you know, before the odds change. That's, that's unfair for the odds, but it's also, uh, that's how things become compromised. And it kind of works the other way too, which is what if, you know, uh, you know, somebody at Iowa, you know, what if Luke Lachey is talking to Sam Laporta, <laughs> you know, about something going on at mm-hmm. Iowa. And then Sam Laporta is talking to, you know, one of his teammates, and then they go and bet against Iowa or for Iowa or whatever. And, and that's what you want to avoid. You want to have the integrity of the event. And on the betting side, you want to have the integrity of the bet. So I, I think that's really, um, you know, it's really pivotal. So yeah, the, the survey was interesting. It's 15 pages. It's easy to download the, the key findings. And, and so uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the numbers are surprising. I, I guess I would, you know, really be interested in the male female ratio, because if it's 58%, then you're talking about, you know, with men, that's going to be. And those numbers are probably higher too, because people don't tell the truth. Yeah, it's true. They, and, I mean, is it, I, there's, there's the stigmas, right? You don't want to be somebody who has a, you know, being that term degenerate gambler. Yeah. You don't want to be labeled as that. So you're not going, going to admit. And people love to talk about, hey, I won this. I won. Nobody talks about what they lost. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Everybody wants to brag about the times they won. They'll, uh, they'll you know, laugh off a couple, but they don't, they're not going to talk totally about losing $10 a day yeah. betting on, you know, how many points the, the Celtics got in the second quarter against the heat or something like that, you know, and Lord knows, you know, I've been on the road and a lot of our colleagues, you know, will place bets from the bar, you know, watching yep. a game and it'll be on a nothing NBA game in the middle of the season. So, and you've uh, talked about it earlier, the, the player props are the ones that are probably the most dangerous in terms of having nefarious activity. No, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. If you're in, even if you're in another state and, you know, and just to use this example, I'm not accusing anybody, but Keegan Murray tells Chris that, man, I'm, I'm, I've been throwing up all day. Yeah. And, And then all of a sudden, you know, the prop bet is Keegan Murray, you know, 20 points, 20.5 points over under, you know, how hard is it to, you know, for somebody to go, I'm betting the under on that. He's not feeling very well. He's not going to play very much. And that's, that's really where you want to. And then likewise with college, just because, you know, you, you feel like at least with the pros, they're making enough money. You can kind of work through that, but uh, with the colleges, they can be compromised a little bit easier. And we've seen the point shaving scandals, you know, involving a Tom Davis coach team at Boston college way back when. And, and you want to make sure that they don't uh, have any issues. A couple comments here in the chat room on YouTube, Scott. Um, Phil Parker's paw. Uh, Hal looks like the guy in the back of the bar that would run numbers and take bets. I don't know if I should take that as a compliment or a, uh, <laughs> a burn. I don't know, man. <laughs> as long as I'm making money, I'm down. Yeah. I'm looking I, for a new gig. I'm scared of you if you're doing that. <laughs> 
and then uh, past it, uh, somebody else who has a name that's too hard to pronounce. I agree it should be looked at closely, sports gambling, but to what end? Why can't they just have their girlfriend's best friend make bets for them? They can, but, well, you know, there's also – there's a lot at stake for these gambling commissions and states – You'd be surprised at what they can find out. Mm-hmm. That just because somebody's making a bet through their girlfriend's best friend, don't don't be convinced that that can't be tied back to you. Well, exactly. It, it sounds easy, like oh, they'll never find that out. But what happens if that other person gets investigated? What yep. if that the girlfriend's best friend or the girlfriend's brother, besides our brother's best friend, is uh, doing something else illegal and he plea bargains and says, "Hey." I, yeah, I gambled all this stuff, but the reason why I did is because I got all this information from X, Y, Z, and then, and then they take a plea bargain and then the, you know, so that's how it used to happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, so don't, don't just think that it's, I mean, it's, it sounds easy. It sounds plausible. And if you're, but you know, and then people want to bet for themselves, you know, I, I don't really want to, you know, when it comes to fantasy football, sure. I'd love to dispense all the wonderful knowledge I think I have, but um uh, <laughs> I also want to win, <laughs> you know, and, and fantasy sports to me are the one that's the, probably the hardest one, you know, yeah. that, that even tournament pools, you know, I mean, if you're talking about, it, it would suck to me if you're a, even a basketball player at Iowa and you can't do the NCAA tournament pool, even if you're in it, you know, it's like, yeah. but you know, granted, you don't want to bet against yourself. If you did it for free, that would be one thing. But, uh, but then again, when you're, when you're talking about fantasy sports, that's fun. You know, you're picking guys and, but yeah, even the NFL has cracked down. Jamison Williams, a really good pass catcher for the Detroit Lions, a first rounder is out six games because he made a bet at their facility and they cut like four players who were accused of it, of participating. You know, they were lower end guys. That's why they got cut, cut, but they made a freaking example. So, um, and the NFL didn't play around, you know, they, he could have walked a quarter of a mile down the street and been fine, but they do not want it anywhere near that facility. And which is completely a double standard when they're sponsored by all these outlets, but still. But again, they know the rules, right? They, they know the rules. They're on all the doors. Baseball, you're on, it's on all the rules of the MLB clubhouses. I've been in them. And, uh, you know, in fact, uh, you know, so Pete Rose knew the new rules too. <laughs> let's uh, let's take a little break here. Um, good time to step out here, um, do a read first, and then we'll hear from some of our sponsors. Let you folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa, a list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. That is SUI.org, Systems Unlimited. We thank them for their sponsorship and the great work they are doing in Eastern Iowa. Let's hear from a few more of our sponsors. And Scott and I will be back on the other side to talk a little men's and women's basketball um, and some Big Ten football scheduling. So hang in there. 
Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we're back here on the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. I'm sure the people on YouTube get a kick out of watching me go get more coffee and come back here that you don't see. You don't get to to experience that on the podcast side. So, uh, well, I, I encourage people to to come on into the YouTube uh, stream every now and then just to mm-hmm. see the kind of the silliness that goes on here. Um, let's start. Let's go with... Um, the return of a really popular player for the women's basketball program, Scott, in Tanaya Davis. She comes back as uh, basically the director, player development director um, that was vacated by another former Hawkeye, Catherine Reynolds, uh, who is now the first president and commissioner of Northwoods League Softball. So congratulations to Catherine on that nice achievement. And uh Tanaya Davis coming in, coming back. Uh, she kind of uh, has had several jobs since leaving Iowa, um, but uh, comes back as director of player development. And um, she had a two-year stint as a grad assistant at Clemson. Um, and where was she before here? Omaha. Omaha. From 21 to 23. Um so she's got was able to cut her teeth, and uh, she is a ni- 2019 graduate of Iowa and received her bachelor's degree in health and human physiology or human psychology, excuse me. And she is a recent graduate of Clemson, where she finished her master's in athletic leadership. So she used that grad assistance job and put it to good use, getting a graduate degree. And uh, this seems like a great addition. She knows the program. She knows the coaches. Um, seems like a, a great fit. No question. And, uh, it, it, you know, what kind of freaks me out, Rob, and we're, we're, you know, old dudes now and stuff. <laughs> and so, so when you have, you know, players like Tanaya Davis, it just seems like, Oh, did she, didn't she just graduate like last year? No, it's been like five years ago. What? <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, here we are. And, um, yeah, she's, she was very popular, very upbeat, energetic, uh, you know, really a great personality. I think she'll do well in that role, no question. And then I don't want to slight uh, Catherine Reynolds, who also was, uh, you know, she got her law degree. Now she's going to be the first, you know, commissioner in Northwood, Northwoods League history for women's softball. 
um, which I think is a really impressive and important step for, for women because we know about all the wooden bat leagues and stuff for men's baseball, but we don't really hear much at all about softball. And I think this is a really a, an important step toward for women and some equality and building softball and maybe potentially one day becoming a, um, you know, a, a professional league that can survive and thrive. And, and I think, uh, you know, and of course, I guess I didn't realize this about Catherine Reynolds that, you know, her, her dad was a major league baseball scout for like the Reds forever and stuff. So uh, she's the type of person that she might be the commissioner in the Northwoods Woods League for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden you see her as associate commissioner of the Big Ten or another or the Missouri Valley or something like that. And then in 15 years, you're like, wow, she's in, she's the commissioner of another league because of all of her background. So she's somebody to watch in the future, but specifically with Tanaya, perfect fit, perfect person to have to help develop some of the, some of the younger players that are, you know, a little bit trapped behind the superstars, (laughs) you know, that are coming back. She was all, uh, all big 10 honorable mention in her senior season and on the 2016 all freshman team, um, had she not had the ACL injuries um, or injury, I should say, or as a sophomore, who knows, she may have uh, put up even bigger numbers, but she still scored a thousand points during her Iowa career. So uh, she comes back with some juice and respect and uh, she'll do a nice job kind of uh, helping players, as Scott said, develop behind the scenes, maybe kids that you don't see uh, in games yet. Um and she'll obviously have a focus on the backcourt. Um, in men's basketball news, Scott, we got a we got our Gavit Games matchup for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, short trip. Don't have to go to Orange, New Jersey for Seton Hall <laughs> <laughs> or elsewhere. Just yeah. to, just across the state and across the Missouri over uh, into Omaha to play Creighton. Uh, I pulled up. Uh, Seth Davis's. This was a couple weeks ago on on the Athletic. Subscribe to the Athletic. Uh, that's your PSA for that. Uh, <laughs> Seth Davis has Creighton at number twenty five. Uh, mm-hmm. It's had some, definitely some transition. Obviously, the the main one was Nemhard transferring to Gonzaga, uh, their starting point guard, and that kind of. That's when you hear the uh, anti NIL people. Uh, barking when they see things like that happen, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, they've added a couple players, but they've lost some players, and they've got some guys that are in the uh, the draft mix, the draft process that we'll see if they come back. Um, as Seth wrote, uh, Baylor Shireman. Uh, he wrote as a departure in his previous rankings. He's announced his intent to return for his super season, super senior season. So that is a bonus for Greg McDermott uh, and the Blue Jays. But uh, two other starters, seven footer Ryan Kalkbrecker and six foot four sophomore guard Trey Alexander have entered the draft while retaining their eligibility. Both were invited to the draft combine. So they moved to the departures column. Sophomore forward Arthur Kaluma who also entered the draft, put his name in the portal on Wednesday. So it's plausible that Creighton will have lost four starters by the time the season tips off. That's from Seth Davis at The Athletic. Check that out. Recent, way too early 
top 25. It's too early, but it's not too early. Right. Well, um, my, my thinking on this, and I've gotten some of the other games. Um, you co- did you cover the last Iowa Creighton game over? I in, did. Yeah, that was not good. <laughs> I, got, I, I do. I do have. A, I do have a funny story about that. You know, uh, Doug McDermott was playing for Creighton, and yeah, and he and Melson were on the Melson Basabi were on the like the one of the U.S. teams or something like that. But the year before, I can't remember exactly what. And I remember going into that the preview of that game. And I said, okay, what do you got to worry about with Doug playing against Doug McDermott? And he's like, <laughs> he told me, he goes, I don't have to worry about anything. He has to worry about me. And uh, I, because he's not a professional athlete and didn't get any NIL money at that point, I said, I'm not going to write that. That's just not going to. And I was probably. Creighton needed no more motivation. Yeah. Yeah. That was over in Des Moines. And voila. you remember the, you remember the post game. Doug was yeah. pretty. He was puffing his chest out. I mean, as he grew up not liking Iowa, so that worked out pretty well for him. Right. His, you know, his his dad was at UNI and then Iowa State and now Creighton, you know, all around. And uh, funny part is, and this would be the only time I give this guy plaudits, but the one the one coach in Iowa who thought he could play at Iowa at at one of the major schools was Todd Licklider. He wanted to recruit him, but he, you know, that was just not not going to work. So, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, I, I, I do have some of the other Iowa games here, you know, of course they play in San Diego against either USC. They can play against Bronny James, by the way, um, Seton hall, Oklahoma, they played North Florida on the 29th of November at home. Uh, Iowa state is set as well. Let me uh, get that. I, What's the date on that Creighton game? I did not read four, 15th, 14th, 14th of November. So that's yeah. early, man. Yeah. On Pearl Harbor Day will be uh, Iowa at Iowa State. Then the 16th of December is uh, the doubleheader in Des Moines, which we saw the tickets, I guess. It, um, they've already sold like 12,600 12, to that, and they just basically are holding the rest. That's not because of the men playing. Um, we know that. No, it isn't. <laughs> Yeah, and then I think I have one more men's game somewhere. And a good this is a good point, time to remind folks that uh, your Big Ten – and again, this is another story that we haven't talked about yet. The, the, the Big Ten TV rights yeah. deal. Uh, as a result of that, there is no more ACC Big Ten challenge. It's now the ACC, SEC, ESPN. They should just call it the ACC, SEC, ESPN challenge. Right. Because once uh, Big Ten bailed on ESPN, uh, they took their ball and went home, so to speak. So there's no more uh challenge there so that you have to you have another date to fill if you're a big 10 team now yeah i mean yeah and that's one thing i wanted to bring up was uh oh fair uh, no that was women's fairly dickinson is the sixth of monday the sixth of november i think it's their opener um the the men's schedule at home we know that they're going to play 10 big 10 games and they're really important blah 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 but when you're Right now, playing at Creighton, at Iowa State, you're going to play USC slash Oklahoma slash Satan Hall in San Diego. You better have one, at least one quality non-conference opponent at home because it is hard to run this back to your fans, especially then you took another game to Des Moines, which wasn't against anybody special. But, uh, you know, when you're starting to fill out the schedule, you're going, you know, what are you giving the fans here? 
what's going on? You know, and so now that you don't have the ACC Big Ten Challenge date, you better bring somebody in, you know, and then maybe it's, and then next year go there. It could be Missouri. It could be Kansas State. It could be, take your pick. I don't give a shit. Arkansas. Yeah. Anybody. Um, Yeah. Whoever. Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, somebody with name recognition. I guess Notre Dame is ACC. Yeah. You know, and it could be ACC. It could be Big Ten, Big 12. Yeah. I think I could see a Big 12, Big Ten challenge at some point, too, by the way, with all this. You know, but you, yeah, you got to do Pac-12 doesn't really work anymore because you're taking two of the two of their one programs. Yeah, right. I mean, I suppose you could play individually, like in Arizona or Utah, yeah. Utah or something like that. But you got to play somebody at home because you're asking your fans to foot the bill again for all these games. But, you know, even in, in recent years, and, you know, when you're playing Duke out in Madison Square Garden and you're playing up in South Dakota at Sioux Falls and you're playing, uh, you know, every other year in the ACC Challenge and or were in, in Iowa State, what are you giving your fans? Why, why are they, you know, and you could say all you want. Well, we're playing 10 Big Ten games at home. I don't care. You're going to have to start playing a few teams at home that, that people want to see. And that, that variety matters. And you can't just expect them, you know, and you, and you can't bitch at them because they don't want to go when they're playing Florida A&M on a Tuesday night in early December and say, well, we're our fans. Well, you know, you're going to have to give them something here. And, and that's the neutral courts are fun and fine for TV. It does nothing for the people who actually pay your salary. Sorry, that's my rant for the day. <laughs> You're good. Uh, and Iowa was, uh, what were they, 24th? Iowa men, I think, were 24th in attendance nationally last yeah. year. Mm-hmm. So as bad as things are, and, and you and I both talked about this on the podcast, um, the the empty seats were certainly – as noticeable as ever last season. And some of that speaks to the lack of um, interest in some of the opponents that Iowa is playing at home, Um, the pricing and um, the trends nationally. So we'll see. I feel like quarter of a century we've been having these conversations, Scott, about men's basketball attendance and, you know, the game's too late, the weather, all the litany of excuses that we go through. But I think ultimately, if you play a really good opponent at home, people will come out. Well, yeah, it's a difference between, you know, you might not sell many or any more tickets, but you might have more people um, show up, right. you know, and support your team and which gives you a bigger lift. I mean, you know, here's the thing last year is, yeah, they were 24th in the country, but they averaged 12,017 fans at home. That was the fifth worst on record, you know? So that's, that's not good. I mean, that's, you're trending in the wrong direction. It's stagnating. And, you know, a lot of that is, you know, and, and this year coming up, Rob, I mean, you know, maybe they got a chance to, to surprise some people. They would surprise me if they're good, you know, that would surprise me if they're anything other than a, a bubble team at best, but, but, you know, when you don't climb the mountain and you don't get to that area that people want or expect the sweet 16 once in a while, when you have NBA players, when you have the best player in the country, when you have veterans who've been there six years and have big 10 records and you can't get to that second round or that second weekend, 
then people are going to start to go, "Eh, I'm not as invested anymore. And then you don't give them reason, you know, and then if you don't play quality teams at home and you're just saying, you know, put a big sign up game today, come support your team or we'll complain about you. That just doesn't work. You know, not in today's world, you better give them a reason. And so I don't know, you know, the women, you know, the thing is when we talk about all the problems at Carver, Rob, we're not talking about wrestling. They, they've sold out their season two years in a row. And even before that, they were pretty damn close. We're not talking about women's basketball, which set the big 10 record for average attendance that has to put a hold on it. We're talking about men's basketball. So to me, the roots are deeper than just Carver Hawkeye arena. The roots are uh, a malaise among the fan base, a malaise that, that just says, yeah, I can do without it. And, and that you'd never want to get to apathy. And no. I think they're getting into that territory. And one way to combat that, a small way, get get quality opponents that you don't see every, every year in your building early in the season. Reminder for folks that did miss the release that came out uh, last month, about a month ago. Uh, Iowa's home Big Ten, Iowa men's basketball's home Big Ten games this year, uh, Illinois, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Penn State, Purdue, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Ohio State, and Rutgers. So if you're doing uh, – if you if that went through your head and you were saying, well, who are they missing at home? They don't get Indiana or Michigan State at home. So those are two marquee Big Ten opponents that you don't get at home this season all the more reason to add a quality non-con at home. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and so, you know, they're, they're, you know, playing in the big 10, playing those opponents, there's, there's a lot of positives, you know, but when you start, but then you start to get into January and weather and time are a factor when you start to go, you know, you know how, you know, and I don't know if it's exclusively an Iowa thing. It sounds like Wisconsin deals with the same issue. And we're talking about two fans that bases that are almost exactly alike, except they wear different colors is that um, if it's a six o'clock, Hey man, I can't get there. I got to go to work. I won't be able to get there in time. So I'm not going to go. Or if it's eight o'clock, man, I got to work the next day. What are you guys doing? So seven, seven o'clock is the sweet spot, but seven o'clock is not the sweet spot for BTN. So those are, you know, and then you start to throw on weather parking, lack of amenities around the stadium, you know, in, I mean, in the arena and on and on and on and on. Student section placement. Yeah, exactly. The students don't, you know, they, they're, they need to be around the court. <laughs> I mean, all these, <laughs> all these things that after a while, yeah, they're, they're all excuses and they're all, they're all factors, I should say, but they have become excuses. And as long as that continues, um, you're just going to see kind of a stagnation among the basketball program. And if, if they can't reach the second weekend and if you can't, you know, just reach people's expectations, I think it's just going to be a perpetual semi purgatory for this program. Uh, Wrapping up with Seth, two early rankings. He's got Michigan state ranked second in the country this year. So uh, really, really good incoming freshman class in East Lansing for Izzo. Maybe this is uh, his last push to get back to a a final four, but the next ranked team in the big 10 is Purdue at 15. Um, 
you have anybody else in here from the Big Ten? Uh, no, he's got two big oh, Ohio State at 24. Man. So he's got so that's that leads me to believe that with the experience that Iowa has coming back, and there aren't a lot of high expectations for other teams in the league, that should work to Iowa's advantage. But we have uh, we have plenty of time to break break that down till we get to October or November. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's plenty of <laughs> there's plenty of time between now and basketball. We got a lot of football to worry about, including where the game's going to be played and all that stuff. Yes, let's segue to that, Scott. Um, last Thursday, we postponed till Friday because there was some were some rumblings that there could be some football uh, scheduling um, format announcement. Um, for the uninitiated, uh, USC and UCLA will be joining the Big Ten next year, and uh, they need to figure out uh, whether or not they're going to have divisions and what the scheduling format would be. And again, subscribe to The Athletic. Scott has a number of stories uh, outlining what the possibilities are in terms of uh, format for scheduling in the Big Ten. So check that out. Um, what's going on here, Scott? What in the hell is the holdup? <laughs> well, many of you may or may not have read, you know, the story from Pete Dammel over the weekend about the, the last present that Kevin Warren left the Big Ten, which was, um, you know, some of the, the issues with the COVID year and they owe Fox or, you know, $40 million or they're going to have to subtract $40 million somehow from from their coffers and give it back to Fox plus issues with Kevin Warren giving NBC a a big 10 championship game in 2026. You know, Pete reported all of that. Uh, And now (laughs) he wasn't supposed to give that to NBC, right? Yeah. Yes, that's true. (laughs) That's a big, that's a big faux pas. Yeah. And you know, part of the, the issue is that, you know, during COVID, they gave up, you know, even more, 10 more percent of their equity. 61% of BTN is now owned by uh, Fox and BTN operates officially their uh, their scheduling for football. So Fox owned all of that. And then they just said, oh, yeah, we're going to give this over here to them, even though you're supposed to have it. So it's like, uh, here we go again. This is one of the... The things that really were more complaints by the 80s, especially, and the coaches about Kevin Warren were these types of things that just didn't listen, was didn't build consensus at all, did things on his own, didn't really understand the layouts. And part and, of it, I think he was had trouble being a conduit between the presidents and the athletic departments. No question. I mean, when you're talking about the, the even the COVID decision. And this is the difference between Jim Delaney and him or, you know, most commissioners in that role is that they would take, they would try to push it down the road as opposed to making a final decision. And whether it was just him, you know, he, he and the presidents kind of unilaterally decided to cancel the season. Delaney would have said, let's just keep delaying this. Let's just not make any rash decisions. Let's just do this. And at some point they would have started to play probably a month earlier or at least three or four weeks earlier. 
and uh, they would have gotten in a pretty full season, most of their games, um, that sort of thing. Well, you know, Kevin did it on his own. And last year with USC and UCLA, there was a lot of help in getting USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. And then um, he was making big time pushes on adding more teams out West. However, the networks were adamant that they were not going to pay more for those schools because those schools don't generate more revenue. USC and UCLA did, Notre Dame would, but not even Washington, excuse me, Oregon. Then even with that push, then the schools did something that was unusual. And I talked to some of them last fall and that was, no, we don't want any more expansion. You know, instead of hedging or, well, you know, we're, we're, we're working through these situations, blah, blah, blah. They were adamant. No, we don't want any more. We want to, you know, and he was wanting to add. So it became a stalemate and they wouldn't have, he would not have won that vote if they would have tried to push for other people. Now you have the TV issues and, and talking to ADs in the off, you know, in the fall, in the winter, early spring, they were, you know, I, I know I would say, okay, what are some of the priorities here? And it's like, one of the first was we've got to get it, get the, the TV contracts completed. And, and it always seemed like a formality, like, all right, just sign the free contracts, and move on. Cause they made the big announcement. We know what they're about. And now they're, they're getting into territory where it's like, oh, crap. And apparently some of the, you know, the big time schools that um, get their way more than you think they do, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, um, were saying, hey, we didn't know we were going to have to play November night games, which is laughable. Everybody knew that, but they're just complaining to complain. Um, and then so then now, you know, we didn't know we were going to play on Black Friday. Penn State complains more than anybody about anything. and they were the ones that were going to get stuck on Black Friday, which they did. But as a concession, because Michigan State should get uh, team, you know, team of the year in the Big Ten for doing these things, uh, they said, okay, we'll move the game to Detroit and play it at Ford Field on Friday night. And then Michigan has to move its playoff games that weekend you know, because of it. But, you know, so there's all these little issues. They're little, they're going to get solved, but they're a pain in the butt. And that's why we don't know what's going to happen in 2024 because they can't figure out 2023 yet. <laughs> How much, I mean, I think it's, it's, it seems obvious here that the TV is paying a ton, has the influence of what has at least some influence on the, on the scheduling format they go with here. Right. No question. I mean, they all signed up for the, uh, X amount of games. NBC signed up for f- 15 games this year and 14 throughout in the future. Night games on Saturday nights. This was when, what was announced. And games that some, used to be on ABC, right? Yeah, ABC or ESPN. Yeah. Right. And same thing with CBS. Um, CBS signed up for, and this will happen more next year, but this year it's going to be in parcel is um, 2 30 kickoffs, our time on CBS and then Fox will get the big noon window that it wants. Fox gets the majority of its first, you know, choices, not all of them, but most weekends it'll get the first choice. So it's just going to be, that's what they signed up for. That's how, why they're paying this much. It's not that, Oh, well, we didn't know we're going to have to have night kickoffs in November. You knew that. Um, And 
you know, it's all, we're only talking three weeks anyway, Rob. I mean, we're talking the first weekend is already a um, November is already a, a, a network week. The, the only thing in the past, like Iowa with Minnesota in 2015, that was on the second weekend. And schools can move their games tonight. It's just a matter of uh, both schools had to agree to it. Now it's unilateral. But I think it was the Ohio State, Michigan State as a concession. We'll go to that the second um, Saturday night in November. Um, Nebraska has come out and said, look, we'll play anytime. We don't care. Because they did in the Big 12. I don't think it's that big of a deal. So like week three, I could see Nebraska at Wisconsin. What's the damn difference between playing at 2.30 where it's dark from the second half onward in late November and playing at 6 o'clock? There's no difference. Yeah, so, we've been doing this a long time. The weather in November is so unpredictable in this region right. of the country. I mean, you could have – I've covered Black Friday – You we've covered yeah. Black Friday games at Nebraska where it's balmy. Yes. We've had, we've had everything from sleet and freezing rain to – 65 yep. on the field and it's it's so you don't know i mean hell go back to that 2015 season with iowa where the week they're playing minnesota and they have the the grapple at the gridiron and it's you know yeah. 60 plus degrees it's beautiful gorgeous fall afternoon and the next week against purdue they get nine inches of snow before the game so anything's yep. possible and that's it was a pain in the butt for an 11 o'clock kickoff that day let alone at, you know at night it's yes it's a pain but it, they're making this way more difficult and they're trying to like big time. And I don't like the big timing part of it. Michigan, Ohio state, Penn state, Iowa, I think was and Iowa for sure was part of that where they're like, we're not going to play uh, Friday night games at home. Um, you know, okay. You know, other than black Friday for Iowa and Iowa volunteered Labor Day weekend if necessary, but you know, at some point, you know, and, and I understand that because some of them have medical, uh, you know, medical centers that are attached to the stadium, they're close to the stadiums, or you're, you're talking about Penn State, we've both been there, that's a small town with 107,000 people with, you know, two thirds of them coming from either Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But after a while, you're like, dudes, just shut up, just play ball. I mean, you did it during COVID here. So just do it now. I mean, suck it up. You know, next year it'll be USC and UCLA, and then there'll be teams complaining about going to West Coast on a Saturday to play that game. So what's your best guess? The flex? Yeah, flex. Sounds like flex is pretty much, it just needs to kind of get the final rubber stamp from everything. Um, What it... It'll be pretty bare bones from what I understand. And things can change as we know, but where I think things are that to my understanding is that Iowa does get three. Iowa will play Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Nebraska every year. Uh, Michigan will play two every year, but like Penn state will only play one Michigan state, Michigan state will play two. It'll be Michigan and Penn state, but most of the others will only play one. I mean, Wisconsin and Minnesota will play two because they'll play each other in Iowa. Uh, but I don't think Nebraska will play more than one. And then USC and UCLA obviously will only play one. So, so it's really pretty limited um, in how that and works. We have Illinois Northwestern. Yeah. And I, and I don't think Illinois and Purdue are going to line up every year. I'm not sure that one. I don't Indiana Purdue, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Them. So, you know, Ohio state might only have Michigan, I think, even though, and, and this, this was kind of the, the reason it was weird, you know, Penn state wanted to play, you know, had played Ohio state every year since it entered the big 10, 
but Penn State didn't really want to do that anymore. Does Penn State get to play Maryland and Rutgers every year? No. It'll, it'll just be Michigan <laughs> State. So, yeah. So Maryland and Rutgers have to line up, right? We yeah. don't want to, we definitely do not want to see that rivalry go away. Yeah, no, that, that one. November, that one, Friday or Friday night in November. Yeah, I mean, this year we got Penn State, Michigan State. Next year, it's definitely going to be uh, Maryland and Rutgers. And the pro- <laughs> it'll be so big, they'll have to move it one year to, uh, you know, Giant Stadium or uh, the Meadowlands. And the next year, they'll have to be at uh, Baltimore, you know. I mean, <laughs> no, I don't know. So, yeah, everybody gets at least one. Iowa, I think, is the only one that gets three. And then there's, uh, you know, three or four or five that get two. So I, that's kind of where things sit now. Again, who knows? This thing has just dragged on like everything else Big Ten related for the longest time. And it seems like the Iowa-Iowa State is pretty solid right now. I know I still, every now and then you see people when these scheduling uh, discussions happen, stories happen, they're like, well, why can't, you know, we do, we alternate Iowa State and play them, you know, three out of, or whatever it is, four out of six years or whatever would work out just mathematically in terms of home and away. Um, But I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's imminent. No, there, there are possibilities for that to be eliminated. Um, And it really starts and end with, with, well, (laughs) Gary Barta can make the biggest one, but also uh, university officials, which seem to lose to the state in every single situation. But um, if they decided, you know what, Um, you don't have to worry about making sure that we play, um, you know, five Big Ten games on the odd years. You know, we can do whatever you want because the, the, they synced it up. The Big 12 did the same thing for Iowa State where they synced up the, the home and away based on, you know, Iowa had a, a major factor in that because of its annual rivalry. So if Iowa went away from that, then they're not going to play six games on the road in any given year. So then Iowa, Iowa State could conceivably go away under that. But Gary Barta and Kirk, you know, the Regents and, and, and Governor Reynolds, you know, she'll come down on that because, you know, lower government, right? I mean, sorry. Uh, you know, but she'll, she'll be the one that she'll, you know, she said a couple of years ago when Iowa was threatening to pull back after the band fiasco. And she was like, not a chance that that series would go away. So that's the easiest uh, support she can get. I mean, She's got everybody on her side if she, well, I shouldn't say everybody. She's got the vast majority of people that are on her side if she's fighting to keep the Cyhawk football game. Yeah, because the majority of Iowa State fans believe that, and understandably so. They don't really have another, other than Kansas State and maybe Kansas, they don't really have any natural rivalries anymore. Um, you know, Nebraska is gone. Mizzou wasn't really much more rival anyway. Um, they're just in the same conference for a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so Iowa represents a rival and, and Iowa has more than one. And, uh, you know, so, you know, and really, uh, you know, they're, they're the silent majority in this. There are more Iowa fans that want to keep the Iowa, Iowa state rivalry than want to get rid of it. It's just the ones we hear are the ones that don't, and, um, you know, cause you know, I, I always joke that I call it kind of the mother-in-law rivalry because on my wife's side of the family, uh, three graduated from Iowa State, two graduated from Iowa, and then there were some others, you know, and well, one of them was an Iowa State original and then a master's at Iowa, and then another two graduated from UNI. So, 
she roots for everybody. And guess what? I don't have a problem with it. She's paid enough tuition to yeah. make it work. But but that's the way a lot of people think, and especially in central Iowa, where you know you got an office of 10 and it's five and four, and you know, Iowa, Iowa State one way or the other, and then the other one is somebody either doesn't care or likes Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> and Colorado's coming back to the Big 12, right? Yeah, you never know. I think that's <laughs> that's actually I did ask Jamie Pollard about that the other day and he was like, Yeah, well, I don't know, you know. <laughs> Whereas if there was no chance, yeah, he would have just shot it right down. Yeah. It was like, so is there a chance I asked him, I said, so is there a chance that a former member could actually join the Big Twelve? He goes, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> like, uh Dion and Ames, prime yeah. time, prime yeah. time and prime time in Ames. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine that? Oh man, that would, well, I'd probably end up covering that game. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, hopefully it comes in like a Western Michigan game. Not <laughs> Let's wrap up with uh, your, uh, your day at the George Kittle camp at Kinnick stadium last weekend, Scott, tell the folks kind of what that was kind of what the, the, approach isn't the right word but how that was organized kind of what was the goals there for that camp and kind of what you were able to to witness yeah it was really interesting it was one of uh two there the the days uh uh there there are two different camps that i think it's octane football camps out of the the out of central iowa put together and one's george kittle this month and next month it's uh alan lazard i think he's like north polk or somewhere is where he's going but this one was at kinnick and it was really interesting you know to see i think they had 500 kids that showed up it was just a a spectacle as you'd imagine with george um you know kind of coming out uh you know to out of the the tunnel and running down the tunnel and slapping hands on both sides and kind of moving around doing, you know, doing George Kittle things, doing the gritty and doing like the, whatever the teardrop uh, football drop and stuff like that. So, you know, he was just being George Kittle all day, but it was, you know, it was good. I had a long conversation with him about different things about his time at Iowa, what he learned. I, some of that will be filtered in a couple of things will be filtered into future stories, but you know, one aspect uh, I think we both are aware of, we've talked about enough and, and, you know, just to kind of highlight that a lot of the issues that we've that have been under the spotlight at Iowa last three to four years really have been more racial, but it also had some personality to it too. And, uh, you know, the, the, the thing was with, um, you know, with him, he was beaten down quite a bit too, because of his personality. And, you know, he, you know, didn't really want to go into it too deeply, but he said, I love Iowa. I wouldn't be who I am today without them. But the free spirit, free flowing energy stuff's not too high on any, on many people's radar up there and, or high on the list of things that are important. So while I learned a lot from there, I also learned things I didn't like. And, uh, you know, the, the personality, George has always had that, but he's really been allowed to let it flourish and showcase now. And, and, you know, it's, it's a completely different today than what it was. I mean, would Sam Laporta be able to be kind of who he is at Iowa in 2018 or 19? Maybe, but George Kittle certainly was not that way. And it took him some time to, you know, go from the fifth team and to be the player that he was. But I think there was, you know, it, it was just really a fascinating depth to him, his personal journey, how he became the player he was and is in the NFL. And, 
and uh, kind of, you know, how his career is kind of shaped up. Yeah, it's uh, he's really done a nice job, you know, promoting his position, you know, you know, with tight end and, and high, helping to highlight that position. And uh, as you said, it seemed like we didn't really get to know the real George Kittle till he left Iowa. And that's kind of a shame. Yeah. You know, I was probably the closest one with him throughout the years. I, I stayed with him during, or, you know, I, I was with him on that Friday and Saturday of the draft at his house. I thought he might be a second or third rounder and ended up being a fifth rounder. So I spent the whole time with him just to be there for that moment when the call came and then he celebrated with his family and stuff. And, and I got to know him pretty well, you know, like one of the, you know, the, the thing is with him, he's, he's so high, high energy, like his rest, you know, WWE. And uh, I remember talking to him at the Outback Bowl his last year and he was almost, almost more excited to go to the WWE event after the Outback Bowl, he was the Outback Bowl. And he's like, he had nosebleed seats and everything, but he didn't care. He was okay. And then now he's, you know, like last month, he's on WrestleMania and gets to do a clothesline and everything like that. So, you know, there, there was a lot of fun that, you know, he had to say about it. And, uh, you know, so I got to know him on a pretty good level over the years, but still the real, the, the George Kittle, I think today would be a little bit more, able to, to showcase his, you know, be more himself, you know, not have to hide himself as much uh, today at Iowa than he did then. But um, he's still one of the most interesting players I've ever been around. Yeah, no doubt. It's good to see him come back and, and people in Iowa be able to celebrate his success and him be able to connect with kids and nothing wrong with that. I'm sure the Alan Lazard, uh, event will be really well received as well for the folks over there in central Iowa. Got to see Alan play in high school, uh, went out and scouted one of his games when Iowa was still, still in the picture for his services. Yeah. But uh, we all know uh, Paul Rhodes got upset about yes. that. So. I know uh, <laughs> that was funny. All right, Scott, I think that uh, that'll wrap there. Uh, anything else we left out? I did notice that uh, I will, direct people uh another uh article that i enjoyed this week that scott and Stu mandel did on uh projecting where um where and when football games will appear on tv uh early in the season this year and i was very happy to see you guys had iowa with starting the season with two 11 o'clock games oh yeah me too i, I had to make sure of that i was like yeah <laughs> let's do it 11 you know get it over with i'd be happy if they played at nine yeah that's right. more that works more into my schedule you know uh my my days are often you know i i when andy peterson used to be i guess you know he's not there anymore with um you know i would do like the bumper brigade and stuff for Learfield and at 8 a.m and um so, uh, you know, so I was leaving the house a lot of times at seven, you know, for an 11 o'clock or, you know, cause it's always three hours before kickoff, but I'm fine with earlier, get done earlier, get home earlier, go to bed earlier <laughs> or try to stay up later for the, for the other games, which has always been challenging for me. Well, I've got to, uh, I've got to clear some 
clear some time later today and this evening to catch up on Mayans because as mm-hmm. Scott texted me last night, we're fans of that show. Uh, final season started last night with a couple of episodes and uh, I was out shooting soccer, as I said earlier in the podcast. So I have to catch up. Am I going to be, am I going to be happy with what I see? It was pretty good. It was a little bit better than last year. They started off at the bang. So good. Um, the, the the second one ran a little later for me and I'm like, you know, I'm watching it. I'm going, I already DVD'd it. So I'll have to worry, rewatch it. But I was like, Oh, <laughs> I'm, like, Dang it. I'm trying to stay awake. I like this. It's not boring me. It's just old man here. We'll talk. Maybe we could talk, break down the episodes next week. Uh, so we don't have any spoilers on this episode. Cause I, I want to relax and enjoy. I was going to try to push it last night when I got home, and I'm like, no, I'll wait till tomorrow when I have some more free time. There you go. Yeah, (laughs) two episodes back to back. It was a lot. but Looking forward to it. The good thing about the DVR is I can zoom through the commercials, and there are a lot of commercials on FX. Yes, there are. So, (laughs) you know, uh, they're like the the channel where, you know, you'll see like – you know, they'll have like 16 can't, well, that's probably not that one, a league of their own. And it'll be like three and a half hours. Oh, I know. And I'm like, come on, man. You know, it's like five minutes of the movie and five and a half minutes of commercials, you know, it's like, geez. And they have a lot of good shows too. So you have to put up with it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. Well, thank you for listening to the Hawk. Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. Thank you to all of our sponsors. We really appreciate it. And we will be back next week when we uh, we arrive on June at June. Uh, so creeping a little bit closer to the football season. And I'm sure in June we'll have a little bit more meat on the bone when it comes to getting ready for the college football season. So thanks again to everybody for listening. And Scott and I will be back to talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.